Let's pray. Lord, as the psalmist lifted his eyes to you, we pray that we also may do that today. And that as we engage with this psalm, we may also claim the promises that you have made to those original pilgrims and to us too. In Jesus' name, amen. I love Greece. I've recently come back from the Greek island of Rhodes where we spent a week's holiday. We did all the you know, usual tourist things, visiting the top attractions, the Crusader castles, the lovely beaches, ancient Greek ruins, even learned a little bit of Greek. We had a great time. But last year, we were visiting Greece under rather different circumstances. Um, we were more pilgrims than tourists because we were on the HTC pilgrimage following the footsteps of St. Paul as he traveled from across Greece to Corinth on his, on his missionary journey, or one of them. Both of those visits were holidays, and we enjoyed them both immensely. But being on a pilgrimage was a much richer experience than merely being a tourist, because the pilgrimage had a purpose, it had a direction, um, it had something that the other holiday just didn't have. Now, as we start our series, I wonder, spiritually, are we tourists or are we pilgrims? Do we come to church with the uh, maybe occasional visits to special services or events, um, seeking the top attractions, as it were, although I'm not sure that I would call myself a top attraction. but, you know, for the rest of the week, we live our lives without a huge amount of reference to God. Or, on the other hand, are we spiritual pilgrims or disciples? Where people, are we people who spend our lives sort of going someplace, going towards God? People whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. Early Christians used to be called people of the way. And I think it can be good to ask ourselves this question right at the beginning of our summer sermon series because we're looking at some of the psalms or songs of ascent over the summer. They're pilgrim songs. These were the songs which were sung by the Hebrew pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem for the great worship festivals. Three times a year, the Jews left their farms and their villages. They traveled to Jerusalem to spend time remembering God's saving waves and his provision for them and renewing their commitment to him. And these psalms, these psalms of ascent, were songs for the road for the Jewish pilgrims. They were a way to express the amazing grace of God and also to quiet anxious fears during what was often a quite a long and difficult journey. And so for us, if we're Christian pilgrims traveling the way of faith in Christ, then these Psalms can provide for us a way of remembering who God is, who we are, and where we're going. 
They're practical meditations to encourage and guide us. Songs for the road to help us on our way. So our psalm begins today, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It seems an ambiguous question. Does it imply that the pilgrim should look to the hills for help? Well, that journey to Jerusalem, particularly the last part of it, was potentially difficult and dangerous. Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine, and the pilgrims came from Jericho, near the Dead Sea, which was actually several hundred feet below sea level. And the pilgrims climbed up an inhospitable desert valley to reach Jerusalem, hence the name Songs of Ascent, as these were the songs that they sang as they climbed. Those of you who went on the HTC pilgrimages to the Holy Land will maybe recognize that scene and the road winding through the valley up to Jerusalem. As you can see from that picture, it was all pretty barren. So no one singing that psalm would have been tempted to believe that help would have actually come from the mountains. It was much more likely that danger would have come from there in the form of maybe bandits or robbers. So that question in verse 1 was designed to turn the singers towards God and not to the hills for help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Spiritual tourist or pilgrim, I wonder where we unconsciously place our help and security on a day-to-day basis. I suspect that reliance on our financial or material security would actually come quite high up on our list. We live in a prosperous area. Many of us will have savings or we own our own home. We live in a country, well, at least at the moment, where social welfare systems will provide for us if all else fails. Most problems can be overcome with a little injection of cash. Or perhaps we rely on our good health. Medical science has made enormous strides over the last 50 years. Our NHS, for all its difficulties, is a fantastic service that can usually sort us out. What about our friends and family? I hope that all of us here will know at least one other person who will be, as it were, there for us, to come alongside us, to help us in times of difficulty. For us at HTC, it's part of what a loving community, I hope, is all about. Let's park those thoughts for a moment and turn back to our psalm. Because there were three possibilities for for harm to travellers that were referred to in our psalm. A person travelling on foot could turn their foot on a stone and slip. They could get sunstroke under the fierce desert sun. Or they could become mentally or emotionally ill under the pressures of the journey. That's described by ancient writers as moonstroke, the origin of our word lunacy. Update these, and we might think of road traffic accidents, incurable disease, mental or physical, the randomness of a terrorist attack, a cyber attack. However many precautions we take, the sober truth is that we cannot guarantee our security. 
I was sobered to meet a couple the other week who had literally lost everything in a house fire. They were asleep in their house when a roof fire started. Um, it was beyond the reach of their smoke alarms, and they were fortunately wakened by their neighbors who had seen the fire just in time to get out before the roof fell in and they would have been killed. They literally escaped with only the night clothes that they were wearing. And the husband, who is very short-sighted, had to borrow a pair of glasses from a neighbor just in order to see anything. Now, in that situation, vigilant neighbors, insurance policies, etc., saved the day. And they're now in the process of rebuilding their house. But the story could easily have had a different ending, as indeed it did for many of the victims of the Grenfell Tower fire. Now, recognizing the dangers that surrounded them, the psalmist encouraged pilgrims to look to God for their help and security. And he went on to make what seemed like some sweeping promises, that God would not let the traveler's feet slip, that the sun wouldn't burn them, nor would the moon harm them. So does this mean that the moment we turn to God for help, all our problems are solved, our troubles are over, that we have immunity from misfortune, and that we lead a kind of charmed life when nothing ever bad ever happens to us. I remember a few years ago uh, reading this psalm with Philip in morning prayers here, and as we left the prayer room, someone came running over from the vicarage to say that Annabel had slipped and fallen and had injured her knee quite badly. Now, you know, if God can't prevent the vicar's wife from slipping and falling, now what have the rest of us got? Now, you know, we know from our lived experience that Christians don't lead charmed lives, that bad things can happen to people whether they have faith in God or not. And I think actually the realization of that can actually be quite a helpful one. Because if we think that God won't let anything bad happen to us, provided that we look to him for help, then what are we going to think if something bad actually does happen? That something, there's something wrong with our relationship with God? Maybe we're not praying hard enough? Or we know we're not good enough that God has gone off to look after someone who's a bit more deserving of his attention? Well, if you turn to the rest of the Bible, you'll find that it's actually very realistic and honest in facing up to the harsh facts of our lives. And at no time does it suggest that the life of faith exempts us from difficulties. So what does this psalm promise? And why has it become actually one of the best-loved and familiar psalms in the Bible. Well, I think the key to God's promise comes in verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. God promises not that the bad stuff won't happen, but it won't harm us. The traditional King James Version says, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. 
he shall preserve thy soul. Preserve, keep, watch, guard. We find these words in various translations of the psalm, but the original Hebrew word is actually the same one throughout the psalm. It's probably best translated as keepers. God's keeping, it has an active, ever-present quality about it. It's not passive. God doesn't take time off. He who keeps you neither slumbers nor sleeps. It has an everlasting quality about it. God will keep our whole lives. He will keep our coming and our going, both now and forevermore. Verses 7 to 8. So this, then, is the promise of the psalm. Not that bad things won't happen to us, but that God will guard us from every evil. All the waters in all the oceans can't sink a ship unless that water gets inside. Neither can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. And nothing that can happen to us, none of the troubles we encounter can have any power to get between us and God. Paul reiterates this many centuries later when he wrote to the persecuted church in Rome, when he said, in everything we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Christian life isn't an escape from the difficulties of life, where, like a tourist, we can seek God in the high spots or dramas of life. Rather, it's a journey, a pilgrimage, traveling to God. Christians travel the same ground that everybody else walks on. They're subject to the same pressures, they get the same diseases, they're even buried in the same ground. The difference, as Pastor Eugene Peterson puts so well, is that we know that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God. We know that we are ruled by God. And therefore, Whatever doubts we endure or accidents we experience, God will guard us from every evil. He guards our very life. And so the pilgrim song of lifting their eyes to the hills, they sang instead of lifting their eyes to the Lord as they traveled to Jerusalem. Their security didn't come from some spurious help from the hills, but it came from God. It came not from the created world, but from the creator. My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Now, if you choose or have chosen to become a pilgrim, then this is what you've been promised, that our lives are kept by God 
and our daily walk with him is an exploration of the constant and countless ways in which his love and grace are experienced. That's the bottom line of our security. Whatever, whatever other pensions or insurance policies or whatever we might have in place. Emotions and feelings can be a, a very powerful force. And I suspect for some of us, perhaps some of us here, that life can sometimes seem an unending battle where any minute some overwhelming force might break through and overpower us. But if we really get the promises of this psalm into our hearts, then we no longer need to think that way. Our faith can grow from being a rather precarious affair of chance to a solid experience of God. We can be confident that whatever happens in life, we will be more than conquerors. In the words of the medieval mystic Julian of Norwich, we can be sure that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Psalm 121 invites us to take fresh heart. It promises that God will keep us from all evil from getting inside us, that he is the guardian or keeper of our lives. He guards us when we leave and when we return. He guards us now. He will guard us always. Amen.